Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. They are through to the final four. Oh, Rousseau! Rousseau! Right on the money when England need her. Well, hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast World Cup Edition. I'm Abby Patterson here, as you can hear, at Stadium Australia in Sydney. And it's a bit of a special one, as that noise you hear is the full-time whistle of England beating Colombia. No mistaking the sounds of Sweet Caroline. Today, we will be looking back on day 24 of the FIFA Women's World Cup here in Australia and in New Zealand. And in the final quarterfinals, we have seen co-hosts Australia remain into the hunt, thanks to fine time. In one of the maddest penalty shootouts we've ever seen. England, well, they've rode their luck against Colombia and they squeak through. And we're also going to take you around Stadium Australia as we're here. Take it away, Neil. And with me here today at Stadium Australia, sat next to me, is the Athletics' Michael Cox. Hello, Michael. Hi, Abby. Well, we've just seen England come through 2-1 against Colombia. That was a really entertaining match. Uh, Give me your immediate thoughts and reaction to it. I thought England just got through it, really. I mean, I don't think it was a great performance with the ball. I still think they look a little bit lost going forward. But I think they responded very well to going 1-0 down with a goal that they couldn't have done anything really to prevent. And uh, they are very strong defensively. They don't concede many goals. It was two in six games last year, two in five games so far this year, one of them a penalty, one of them a very good long-range goal. So they are just very solid, and I think when they're under pressure, they can deal with it. Well, there were Neil Diamond carries on singing, England carry on through to the tournament, through to the semi-finals, and the biggest conversation we had on the previous podcast post lionesses michael was with you about serena and her sister what have you made of it today we uh, england have remained with the back three did it work i think it works okay i i don't think it was a decisive factor today uh there are some benefits to it i think the three at the back they're all very good defensive players i think daly and bronze are very good in the air means you can switch the ball to them at the far post quite well. That that was uh, a factor in the opening goal, even if it was a terrible goalkeeping error. Um, and I think I think Serena Wiegmann's been, been justified in her faith in certain players. I mean, one benefit about this system is you get him playing up top. And I think she's looked a lot better there when she's played there for England rather than out wide. And the other player she's retained great faith in 
is Alessio Russo, who I think a lot of people would like to see daily up front. A lot of people, maybe Bethany England, get a go. Um, but with that goal, I mean, she is very good at that, getting the ball in the, t- in the channel, getting the ball to feet, working a goal-scoring chance. I, I still don't think she's playing with great confidence, and I think she's kind of hitting, she's kind of just putting her foot through the ball rather than trying to place it, which I think is often the sign of a player, a little bit lacking in confidence, but obviously the winner was a brilliant finish. Yeah, phenomenal finish. And for me, I felt at times that Lauren Hemp was carrying that England team. She was she was the one that had that spark of creativity. Um, I'm going to come back to creativity in a moment because you've mentioned the defence. England have, am I right in saying, the best defence this tournament? Only conceded two goals, one of which was a penalty. Um, for me, Alex Greenwood's having a bit of a tournament of her life. She is looking very good in what has been, at, at times, a very shaky defence. Yeah, she's a really good player. And obviously she was really unlucky to miss out in the starting 11 last year. No real fault of her own. It's just a late decision to put Neil Williamson back there. But yeah, I think they clearly have got the best defence. They haven't had uh, a period where they've had a bit of a disaster. I mean, there's four teams in the semi-finals. Spain considered four goals against Japan. Australia considered three goals against Nigeria. Sweden, okay, a little bit more solid. I'd still have question marks about Jonna Anderson at left back. But England, they have got good players defensively. Daly's the one sometimes you'd worry about, but as a wing back rather than a full back, it's less of an issue. So, yeah, I, I mean, you never really feel that England are, are going to concede goals. They don't really make defensive errors. And that just gets them through tournaments, even when they don't play great football going forward. And it's strong defences that win you tournament football. Now, mentioned creativity, let's come back to that because Colombia were the more creative team. And uh, perhaps with Shakira's support, and you're going to like this one, Michael, it was a little bit a case of whenever, wherever for a goal. Yeah, you look at me like that. I didn't write that one. I promise. I promise. Uh, but they had the better creativity. It was dink shots, uh, dink, dinks over the back of England's defence. It was Caicedo running in the back. It was Caicedo doing anything. It was Ramirez with her hold-up play. Colombia were are a very good team and just quite unlucky to, to be out. Yeah, funny you should say unlucky because the uh, Spanish version of Wherever Whenever is called Suerte. There's a lot of the lyrics, so a lot of the lines start with Suerte, luck. Um, yeah, I thought they are really good. I think they've been great throughout the tournament. I think they play like South American men's sides used to play before they started trying to play like European sides. They play with individual flair. There's interchanging of positions. Uh, they've certainly got a lot of grit. There was all the chat about maybe they'd be overly physical after what happened with Ireland. I don't think that's really true. I think they're just, they are just physically very impressive as a lot of the good sides have been at this tournament. And yeah, Caicedo has, has had a great tournament for an 18-year-old. I thought the best player today was Lacey Santos, the number 10, who scored that goal. She's so confident on the ball, takes the ball in positions that I don't think other players would. Uh, Ramirez had a great tournament, just bulldozes their way through everyone. It's just a couple of positions that they've struggled in, and I think one of those obviously is the goalkeeper. The, the, first, the first goal was a crazy error. She also conceded a, a really bad penalty in the game against Germany by rushing out. And at international level, if you've got a goalkeeper who's not quite up to it, there's not that much you can do. Um, talking about the Santos goal, I'm calling it a Bethany Crocs. Do she meant it, right? She meant it. I think she did. I, I can't really imagine what else she was trying to do. The only thing is she looked slightly surprised when it went in. I, so yeah. I don't know. I, 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 my default position is always that players mean it. 
because if I'm in that position, I'm probably having a shot. Oh, you're, you're claiming it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just be selfish. Yeah. Uh, whilst we've been chatting about uh, Colombia and creativity, um, Alessio Russo has been named player of the match. I'm not sure about that. I think that's a kind of we want to have the chat with uh, Russo afterwards, please, in the post-match. How do you feel? Yeah, we get it means we get three questions with her, and it's never the it's never playing the losing side. Like I said, I thought Santos was the best player, but yeah, it was a good winner, and I think um, maybe there wasn't a standout player for England. Defense was solid, and uh, maybe you just have to say we score a really good winner like that. Yeah, to a certain extent, you're the player of the game. Uh, mentioning Russo, it's uh, a little fact for you. Her goal was 104 kilometers per hour. For reference, uh, Chloe Kelly's penalty went in at 110 kilometers an hour. That was a pacey goal. England and creativity. Yes, England scored two goals, but looking at the set pieces, we saw love train after love train after love train at the corners and not once did the correct ball get played in. That for me, if I'm an England fan looking ahead to the semi-final, that creativity question is a concern for me. It's quite weird. I mean, there's been a real dominance of in-swinging corners in this competition. I think the numbers have doubled from four years ago and everyone's crowding the six-yard box. England, like you say, are doing something completely different. There seemed to be a bit of confusion at the start of the second half about who was taking a corner. I mean, the ball was in the, in the corner quadrant for about 30 seconds before Stanway eventually decided it was going to be her. And she's got quite a weird corner technique, I think. I don't think you're ever going to score from the first header from that kind of delivery. So maybe hoping for the second one. But yeah, I mean, set pieces are so important in this tournament. And I mean, we've seen a lot of quite, I mean, very tight games. A lot of nil-nils in this knockout phase. A lot of games decided by one moment. It feels like set pieces in the remaining three games or four games, include third, uh, fourth playoff. No, I don't know either. Probably going to be really crucial. I have a question for you as well about Kira Walsh. Uh, we've seen her come back from that knee injury, much to uh, many people's surprise. Now, I'm a simpleton, and I would say to you, Michael, well, the only game that England have been uh, very dominant in was against China, where Kira Walsh wasn't playing. But I don't think that is a very accurate and fair comment to make. You're not a simpleton. Why is it that Kira Walsh perhaps hasn't had the impact that we expect to see from her? Yeah, I'm not sure it's anything to do with the injury, first and foremost. But I think what has happened is, after last summer, I think teams realised how crucial she was to England's build-up play. And I, the funny thing is, I think the team who, who really worked it out better than anyone is obviously the only team that's beaten England in the last couple of years, which was Australia. They basically marked her with two players, made sure she didn't get the ball, and England really struggled. The other issue, of course, is that when Walsh was being marked last summer, Leah Williamson could step forward and play those passes. And I don't think England are that much weaker defensively without Williamson. I think Greenwood's done a really good job. Carter's doing a really good job. But it's clear that on the ball, Williamson's the best player by miles. So, yeah, that's an interesting factor, the, the Australia thing. I mean, Australia, I was at that game at Brentford. They won 2-0. And they thoroughly deserved to win 2-0. So the fact that England have now got them in the semi-final is, is going to be quite interesting. And it means that, yet again, we have an England versus Australia sporting occasion we've already seen England lose in the netball final we've seen them lose both ashes tests it's going to be a great atmosphere here again this match will be here at stadium Australia and England as you're saying they've lost earlier this year they'll have a point to prove to say well actually that match didn't matter 
we're going to come and beat you on the stage in the World Cup where everything counts. Uh, but Australia looked good and we might well see the return of Sam Kerr. Right now, in this moment, Michael, I want you to make a call. Who are you? Who are we going to be seeing in the final, England or Australia? I think, Why? <laughs> I think it's going to be really tough. I mean, it was a bit of an away game today with the Columbia fans, to be honest. But I think the atmosphere... I mean, I can't think... Well, England won't have ever faced a game like this. Away from, you know, properly away from home against, you know, a nation, a city that have completely got on board with this tournament. I think it's going to be really tough. That said, at no point in this tournament have I been that impressed by Australia. I don't think they're going to open up England regularly. And I don't think their defence is as good as England's. So I would go for England. And to be fair, it's... uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough to call. It's going to be a really tough game. Also, you have to say Australia played an extra 30 minutes today, and that would have been really draining. So I'd say just about advantage England. And that match happens on Wednesday here, as I say, at Sydney Stadium, Australia. Uh, it is worth noting that the Colombian fans were phenomenal throughout the game today. The only thing I have to compare it to, uh, I was fortunate enough to be uh, with Michael at the Men's World Cup and uh, we're, Morocco-France is the closest thing I can compare that to. Every single time England had the ball, there was booze around the stadium. And I don't know about you, Michael, I quite like that. It was great. They're, they're brilliant fans. I, I went to Colombia a few years ago and I went to see a game in Medellin and it's probably the maddest atmosphere I've ever been to and I mean you mentioned Qatar there were so many Colombia fans in Qatar they didn't even qualify they didn't even I don't think they got close to qualifying did they but they just went over in the numbers Colombia shirts everywhere they are uh, really really good fun and um, the hotel I'm staying in is about five minute walk from a place called Hotel Colombia and I even though they lost I feel like that's going to be kicking off tonight well, we'll go, and we'll go there afterwards, Michael. Well, let's wrap it up here, pitch side. And I'm going to head in and I'm going to go and find Harriet Drudge, who has been at the mix zone. And we're going to find out what the players have had to say following the result of England beating Colombia after 90 minutes. Let's head inside. Well, I've come down to the mix zone here in the bowels of Stadium Australia, where... I find Harriet Drudge. And Harriet, you've been speaking with some of the Lionesses. I have, yeah. They've all walked through by now and done the press conferences as well. I've been speaking to Bethany England, who came on as a substitute, as she quite often does, for Serena Vigman's side. Let's hear what she had to say. So, different experience today, coming from behind to win in the quarterfinal again, did it against Spain last year. What kind of difference is it when you have to come from behind and play in a kind of different way? To be honest, I think this group has enough resilience in them. I don't think we panicked. We looked calm. We looked composed. We controlled the game in the second, uh, in the first half, sorry, towards the latter stages especially. And I think it helped that we was able to keep pushing and pushing. And Hempo getting that goal at a vital time was huge for us. And I think Les was a big part of that goal, just keeping the pressure, not giving up on the goalkeeper. So yeah, I just think it was important that we stayed calm, we stayed composed, and we were able to level it off going into half time, which gave us a great boost going into the second half. Yeah, and what makes you so difficult to beat? But we've got an exceptional group of players, we've got strong mentality and I think even when things sometimes look like they're going wrong we always manage to stick together and find a way. Again I think it was tough, they gave us a great game, it was a different kind of game, it was 
I'd say it was a lot more stop-starty game today, even though the ref let a lot go, I felt like there was still a lot of time wasting going on, so it's just making sure we keep cool and calm in those moments, not getting frustrated when decisions aren't going our way, and I think we did that really well tonight. Yeah, you mentioned about time-wasting there. There's a lot more added time on matches now, so it used to be kind of two to three, now it ends up being eight or into yeah. double figures. How does that affect you? Different mindset, different emotions, different way to kind of manage the game out? I think we just need to make sure that we're ready for no matter what. I think we've seen in this tournament, we know that there's usually 10, 11 minutes extra time here and there. So you've just got to make sure you're mentally prepared that when it gets to eight to nine minutes, you've probably got another 10 minutes left in you because we know that anything can happen in the last 10 minutes. And if there's more of a team on top one side, you've just got to ride that wave in the storm. And uh, yeah, I think we did that well tonight and we managed to control it even to the very end. That's Bethany England there. Harriet, what has been the mood from what you've seen of the players coming through relief jubilation exhaustion um it's, it's been a bit of a mix some of them look absolutely exhausted lauren hemp mm. who had an absolute blinder i thought her best performance of the tournament so far but you know what it was none of the other things it wasn't jubilation it wasn't relief they all walked through and they almost looked like they not expected it. I think they respect Colombia too much for that. And the, their performances throughout this tournament have, have been, you know, performances to be proud of. They just look quite steely. They look like, no, they know that they belong here. They know, I think, that they played better today than they did against Nigeria. And they're looking forward to facing co-host Australia going to be a fantastic match and yes you're right uh, Lauren Hemp was exhausted I uh, ran into her on my way down here as well I wanted to know actually not related to the mix zone at all but I was asked what was the minimum expectation for England coming into this tournament and I in my mind a injury free Lionesses get to the final mm-hmm. I think with this yeah. squad you're probably looking semi-final so you in agreement yeah I think so and and it's a tricky been a tricky one to call this tournament because there have been so many shocks and big teams going out earlier than expected so originally England's path through to this point would have been potentially involved a match with Canada Germany these are big teams in international women's football so it it could have been very true I mean it's been tricky anyway these matches have not been easy by any stretch but when you're making those predictions kind of on paper I think semi-finals was probably where I was thinking minimum. Now, I think with momentum, I think, you know, that even though facing a host country is going to be a completely different ball game, with these performances and the fact that they've kind of come up against a bit of adversity in the last two matches, I think they'll be quite quietly confident that they'll get through. It is interesting you make that point about the England having the easier draw as a result of all of these unpredictable moments in the tournament. It means that, unlike Australia, they haven't had that, haven't hugely had that tough opposition, that top-tier side to face. Denmark has been, in terms of FIFA rankings, the highest, hardest team they've faced. Help a hindrance? Oh, that's a good question. You can only, this is such a cliche, Adam Hurry will love it, but you can only play who's in front of you, right? Mm-hmm. You can only do what you've got to do in that 90 or 120 minutes and penalties um, but I think they have played these big teams in the past they you know the, the other two other than Australia in the semi-finals are European teams who they have faced so 
I don't think it's a hindrance having not come up against them now. I think they are starting potentially to peak at the right time. I'm hoping I've not uh, <laughs> jinxed them on that on that front. But uh, yeah, I think, like I said, you can only play the teams that are in front of you and they've done a good job and they've got the job done. And that's what Serena will be saying exactly to her players as they prepare for that semi-final against Australia. Well, to find out how Australia got through to that semi-final, we're actually going to go back in time and join Harriet and Michael after that full-time whistle from that mad match between Australia and France. We'll see you there next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Well, welcome back to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Coming to you from Sydney itself, we're in the press room. Well, before England took on Colombia, France and co-hosts Australia played out the first semi-final in the Brisbane Stadium, Brisbane Mianjin. I've got Michael Cox and Harriet Drudge here still with me, and it has been a tale of three goalkeepers. Before we get your takes on it, let's hear from Tamira Griffin, who was at Brisbane watching this match for the Athletic. As if we didn't have enough energy in the first half of that game alone to last us several quarterfinal matches, as if the second half didn't deliver a whole bucket load of adrenaline simply from the entry of Sam Kerr into the game, as if the 90 minutes plus stoppage time of regulation had not already provided enough excitement to last us three more World Cups in one match. This one also had to go into penalties. And as if penalties already do not send you into another atmosphere, help you discover new depths of emotion that maybe you didn't even know existed before. We had to watch 10 on each side. Honestly, for everything the crowd gave, for everything that every single player who touched the pitch gave in this match, I would be stunned to know if anyone has any energy left after what we just witnessed. Courtney Vine sent Australia to their first ever World Cup semi-final match after a series of penalty kicks that I'm pretty sure aged everyone a few years. And that was just from the first five. I am beside myself and we are gonna be talking about this game for years. This set a new precedent. The crowd was unlike anything I've ever experienced in any game of football, anywhere in the world. And the atmosphere, the quality of football, the level of emotion and passion poured into and spilled all across this field. It feels like being a part of history, being here, truly. And 
Australia brought it home for their country. Australia through to the semi-finals. Immediate reactions, Harriet. That was some shootout. Yeah, I'm, I'm emotionally spent already, and we've still got another game to go. And that is the craziest penalty shootout I've ever experienced. Yeah, goalkeeper drama, retakes. We thought they were going to win it at several different points, but they just kept going. Kept going. Michael, you, you were making shocked faces throughout, as, I mean, as were we all. Same for Har- as Harriet, maddest penalty shootout you've ever seen? I think it probably was. It's, I mean, usually penalties, either it's quite routine and missed or saved, but there were so many of those that hit the woodwork and came out, hit the woodwork and went in. A couple it's in the goalkeeper had got, but didn't. There was one incredible save from the French goalkeeper where it seemed like the ball was past her and she somehow kept it out. I mean, it was quite intense watching it, especially because, you know, there's the home crowd uh, for Australia. I mean, yeah, I think that honestly is the best, the most dramatic penalty shootout I've ever seen. And of course, the drama happened before we even got to the shootout. As you've alluded to already, Harriet, we had a goalkeeper substitution. PPM, whose name I will not try and pronounce, despite my A-level, <laughs> can't, um, was, had, had a phenomenal match, but she subbed off. Duran comes on. We get a tale of three goalkeepers because that wasn't the only goalkeeper drama we had in, in that shootout, was it? No, we had a goalkeeper step up to take the, what would have been the winning penalty. and Mackenzie Arnold. Mackenzie Arnold seeing it saved after you know she, she's doing well already at her day job of saving penalties in the shootout and I thought that could really have thrown her off for the rest of the shootout depending on how long it went and I think it kind of did the next penalty that she faced I think was a savable one especially considering how well she'd already done so yeah it was a, it was a strange one I think I don't know whether she was always slated to take that penalty would have been interested it interesting if she was but yeah got a tale of, of the goalkeepers throughout the game which was nil nil and then in the shootout as well indeed indeed Michael how do you feel about goalkeepers taking penalties I'm pro it I think you know we've had a lot of chat um those of us who follow men's football like what, yeah let's have goalkeepers taking penalties is the sort of thing that they kind of practice all the time Chloe Morgan who is former goalkeeper with us here is like no don't don't think goalkeepers should be taking them your take please yeah, no real issue with it. I think uh, goalkeepers increasingly good with the feet these days. Doesn't seem that mad to me. I think, in fairness, there were some very, very calm penalties from Australia in there. Like they were always going second, which I think is quite tough, particularly in sudden death. Particularly the players who didn't put their hands up to volunteer for the first five ahead of the goalkeeper. Um, it was so good. I mean, I must say, I've, I've very rarely wanted Australia to win at any sporting event, but just being out here, like you really get the sense it's taking off a little bit not just the people who are coming to the games but just around Sydney people are kind of talking about it like it's a massive deal and to get them into the uh, semi-finals and whatever happens then worst case scenario they'll be in the third fourth playoff I think it's great for the tournament they'll be there till the end and that's that's really good yeah it's such a good point having the host nation in to for the final matches I've landed in Sydney yesterday and already seen the excitement Sam Kerr's faces everywhere she was not on the starting lineup however we're not hugely surprised by that but Harriet her impact when she came on both audibly and actually on the pitch it was there yeah definitely and we kind of saw flashes of it against Denmark as well when she came on not only the crowd reacting to every little thing that she's doing even when she's on the bench if she's warming up but when she comes onto the onto the pitch there's there is a kind of palpable lift in the crowds on the pitch as well for her teammates because they know that she is a player capable of 
scoring from absolutely nothing and providing that moment of magic. It hasn't happened for her just yet, but they're still in the competition. And, you know, perhaps this management of the calf injury has been, you know, a stroke of genius. So get her and Australia to this point to be able to really kind of fight for honours. One name I want to throw at you, Michael, is Mary Fowler. I think she had multiple opportunities to score in the match, didn't take them, took a fantastic penalty as well, I must say. I'm putting her hat in the ring for young player of the tournament. What say you? I don't want to speak too much about that before we see Linda Caicedo play against England. But yeah, she's been excellent. And I do think maybe, you know, with Kerr's potential return, if she's going to come back in, Fowler's role will change. She'll have to play a little bit deeper. And I'm not sure... She played that role against Ireland. I didn't think it suited her. It's quite hard to find space, I think, between the lines in this tournament. So I almost feel like Australia might just keep on going with this system. I don't know whether you can say it's working, because obviously they didn't score in two hours tonight. But I just think Kerr coming back, there will be a question mark about which of the forwards drops out and how that changes the balance. So maybe we'll just keep on seeing it work like this. How far do you have to go as a team in the tournament for you to win an individual accolade, though? It's a good question. I think if, you, if you've got to the quarters and you've played really well as an individual, that's why I would say the best two player at the last two tournaments has been uh, Amandine Henri. But she didn't win the individual awards for that reason because France went out at the quarterfinal in both of them. So uh, it's, a, it's a fair question, Abby. And also she's midfielder and they very rarely get the accolades as well. One final point on this I want to make, um, Harriet. Ellie Carpenter in the lead up to this game, she was talking about the impact that the Matildas have had. She spoke in the uh, pre-match press conference about having gone from playing in front of a crowd of just 300 to the one today being close to 50,000. The game itself, the Australia-France game, was shown in four stadiums across the country on top of that as well. And, you know, on the way here to Sydney, there were fans in Matilda scarves. There was a real buzz, as we mentioned, about this. Now that Australia are in the semi-finals, now that we know that they're at least in the third-place playoff, if not the final, coming from an English perspective, we've seen the impact that the Lionesses have had, having had that Euros win. What do you make of all of what you've seen? Just expand about that a little further. Yeah, it's interesting. So when I first arrived mid-July, I know, I know, I know. It's been a long tournament. I was talking to some people just in a in a pub when we were out watching one of the games when we weren't working on it, and you know, talking about the Women's World Cup and and some people in the pub were saying, well, you know, football, soccer here, as it's called, soccer here, isn't even on the the top three list of footballs in this country because there's Aussie rules there's there's rugby there's you know and and footy as they call it I think great accent I I didn't even try um (laughs) so from that kind of start we have seen it grow and grow I think it was quite quiet towards the beginning unless there was a Matilda's game and more and more people were going to other matches throughout the group stages and in the knockouts and now I think everybody they've got they've got the fever as as we experienced in England last year and I think as Michael said earlier Australia now getting through you know at least to a third fourth place playoff or even the final will do absolute wonders for football in this country this is a sporting mad country they get bank holidays for the Melbourne Cup (laughs) one person I've spoken to a Sydney resident is like I just want Matilda's win so I can get a bank holiday because that is the rumor that if they win the World Cup that there will be a day off so So, you know, there's so much on the line here for all of Australia.
So the semi-finals of the 2023 Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand look like this. On Tuesday, 15th of August, it's Sweden versus Spain. That kicks off at 9am UK time. And on the Wednesday following that, it's Australia versus England. They play at 11am in the UK. I'm back here in the press room with Michael Cox. Michael, just give a quick thought ahead to that Sweden-Spain game because that's, that's exciting. It's both sides have faced adversity and I can't call that one I'm excited for for that game it's 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 tantalizing isn't it I think it's gonna be a really good game I don't think Sweden have been at all impressive until their court final against Japan and then I thought they were brilliant I thought they controlled the midfield really well pressed high up I think their physicality was on show as well and it's an interesting one because Sweden I think really outplayed Japan and deserved the win Japan really outplayed Spain and deserved the win so using that logic, you think Sweden would be comfortable favourites, but that's probably not the case. It's probably quite tight. Spain, I think, themselves have grown into the tournament. I think they're very good against the Netherlands, needed extra time, but I think on the balance of play, they were much the better team. Made a couple of changes. Caldente came in on the left flank. I think that was a really good decision. Worked really well. And then Parallelo came off the bench to win it when the game opened out. So two pretty different styles, you have to say. Spain will you know, always want to dominate possession. I don't think they can play another way. Sweden, I think we've seen more flexibility from them, probably playing more on the back foot, a bit on the break. I'd fancy Blackstenis' pace to cause problems against Spain, who struggled against Berenstein's pace. They're two really good semi-finals, I think. I think a lot of neutrals will be just excited to see Bon Matti playing again. She has been a very good player for Spain this tournament and when she's been able to, to get into the game. So I will caveat with that. So that's Tuesday. We've already mentioned England, Australia. I won't get you to go on to that one again. It's all looking very exciting in this Women's World Cup. We know that we're going to have a new name on the trophy. It's just a matter of, of who that name will be, who will come out on top in this most unpredictable of Women's World Cups. Well, as the time approaches midnight here at Stadium Australia, I'm going to sign off for the podcast. Huge thanks to Michael Cox, Harriet Drudge, Bethany England uh, for her appearance and to Tamira Griffin as well. I've been Abby Patterson and you've been listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast World Cup Edition. We'll be back following the conclusion of Spain versus Sweden. The Athletic.